plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hey everybody, before we start the episode, I have an important announcement to make. We are going to start a new feature on the show, an AMA at the end, where you'll get a chance to interact with me and I get to answer any question you have. AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. And so if you have any questions around your workplace, things that you want around productivity, managing your team, scaling the organization, or about me or Mindvalley, go ahead and email me the question on jason at mindvalley.com. I look forward to hearing all of your questions and we'll get a chance to interact at the end of future podcast episodes. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Jason Campbell. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I am bringing back one of my favorite guests on the show here, Cameron Harrell, the CEO Whisper, the author of so many books on so many aspects of running your business with efficiency, taking advantage of key departments such as your PR, making sure your meetings run, author of Double Double, amongst many other things that he's done, working with leaders around the world. He's coaching CEOs directly. And what I love about this man right now is during this time where there's a lot of different information and a lot of conversations happening around our issues around the COVID-19, the coronavirus. I love how Cameron is stepping into these conversations, engaging with the people around him. And there's a lot of clues as to what are the types of things you can do as a leader during these times that I want to discuss about in this call, because we're stepping into unprecedented times. And there's a lot of people that might have questions, looking for clarity, looking for answers. And sometimes you might realize you already have them just by paying attention to what's going on. And Cameron highlights this beautifully. So Cameron, thank you so much for jumping back with me here. Hey, Jason. Thanks very much for having me, man. Appreciate it. It's funny that you just you just said something about kind of unprecedented times. And in a way we are, but in a way we're not. And I hadn't thought about it yet until you said it. But my quick kind of intuitive response to that was, we always have these periods of time that are just massively different from the, what, what they were the day before or the year before. So it could be, you know, September 11th with two planes smashing into towers and the whole world freaking out and stopping every plane flying. Or it could be a a war starting, or it could be an active war, or it could be a virus that's happening, stock market crashes that happen every nine to 10 years. So there's always been, you know, back in 2001, the NASDAQ crashed by 78%. So we've had lots of these unprecedented times. I think what differentiates the leaders now are the ones that accept where we are, empathize with where we are, kind of make sure that everybody understands that we understand where we are, and we're going to move forward. Because if we just stay stuck with how bad it is, we become a bit of that self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It just becomes worse. Where your focus goes, energy flows. And this is what I love about you is you call it for what it is. And I remember just reading out on some of the things you were sharing is the fact that even on a stock market perspective, like you've seen the cycle happen so many times, you and your advisor, you're basically understanding like, okay, we know what the formula is. This has happened before in 2008. I'm excited right now. (laughs) Well, I think this is something interesting because a lot of people are like, how can you be excited? So tell me what you're seeing that most people aren't. Well, what I see is what's always happened. So every time there's ever been a major economic downturn or a stock market crash, people panic. And when people panic, other people come in and start buying. I just got off a phone with a guy that I know from the main TED conference that we go to every year. And he just went, he went fully vested all into the markets in late February. And I said, dude, January 29th, I did a post on Facebook that said, I got two tips from Uber drivers today on stocks. I'm out. 
And I did a post and said, I'm going to move 30% of my money out today. And I'm moving the next 20% out by the end of February, but I'm going 50% in cash. The market is capitulating right now. And I know something's going to come off. We're finally ready for this 10-year downturn. But I made a lot of money in 2001 where the stock market crashed. I made a lot of money in 2009 when the stock market started to correct and everybody was still terrified. But cash is king in a recessionary market. So in November and December, I noticed that Apple, Google, and Microsoft were all being talked about as sitting on the highest percentage of cash in their balance sheet. These three major companies were building up cash to be able to be greedy when everybody's fearful. And this is the time. So everybody was panicking three weeks ago because the market was down. I started buying. I've got another huge amount of cash getting ready to go in this week or next week again when the market comes off again because of all the bad news that's being signaled. So the key is, yeah, it's like buy low, sell high. It's look for those opportunities and just trust that if you buy really good companies, like Apple's not going away, but it's 50% cheaper than it was three months ago. You know, Starbucks isn't going away, but it's 40% cheaper. Amazon, Visa, Tesla, like there's all these great companies that were really expensive two or three months ago. They're not going away. They're just cheaper than they were. So buy a bunch. Oh, I don't have cash paying off all my debt. Oh, you were living beyond your means. And I think that's what a lot of people did was they kept borrowing and kept borrowing and kept living till the edge instead of living within their means and then being able to invest. That's very interesting. It sounds to me like the way you see this is really a correction of things that were already unsustainable. Well, it had to happen. The only reason that the market is even at as strong as it's been for the last nine years is for the last nine years, we printed money. We created so much debt in the economy, so much inflation in the currency that stuff just got to be more expensive because there was more money chasing a finite amount of groups and services. So because we actually added from $13 trillion to $22 trillion in debt, that just pushed money out into the market to kind of artificially keep stuff up. And, you know, the world is littered with coaches right now. You know, there's a lot of coaches. I'm one of those coaches who coaches real companies with real employees and real revenues. So I'm surrounded with these 18 CEOs globally that I coach, typically 50 to 500 employees. I'm very attuned to what's actually happening on the street when I'm hearing from all of these other entrepreneurs and what's really happening in business. I even got all my coaching clients to pay off their debt, to shore up their balance sheets, to get ready to do acquisitions with no cash. Like anyone wanting to do acquisitions, it's an amazing time right now because every seller is terrified and they'll give away their company. Mm -hmm. And so this is really where, when you look at the market, when you look at the macroeconomic things, we're going into a cycle. The cycle has been repeating. Right now, if you're sitting on cash, cash is king. You were able to predict these trends because you have your ear on the ground. And I love this idea that you said your Uber driver gave you tips. I remember the same thing is like when your hairdresser starts talking to you about how they made a lot of money buying Bitcoin that happened just a couple of years ago. That was the time to get out. And so this is kind of a, almost like a street tip here where you're saying when you're seeing the people that are unqualified to give you advice about something, start giving out advice, it's kind of a signal. And that's not my tip. That was one that's 100 years ago that has been popularized, told time after time that J.D. Rockefeller, the richest person on the planet, had a shine boy on October 27th give him a stock tip. And he said, if a shoe shine boy is giving me stock tips, I'm going to sell all my stocks. So the next day he sold all of his stocks on the 28th. On the 29th of October, 1929, I think it was, the stock market completely crashed. So this whole story has been there forever. And then I saw it again in Las Vegas back in 2008, where all these taxi drivers were buying houses. I had a taxi driver who owned four houses. I'm like, this is insanity. Like, this doesn't happen. I was in Canada at the time. This doesn't happen in Canada. You can't, taxi drivers can't buy two houses, let alone four. This is stupid. Something's not right. 
but greed takes over and so many people chase greed. It's why right now so many businesses are panicked is they didn't have a strong enough balance sheet. They didn't have a strong enough plan. They were living on borrowed time and fumes. I don't know if you've noticed, but the influencer market is very quiet right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have shifted into different types of conversations around things that, again, you can't have the full facts. And what I wanted to switch the conversation now is the fact that you talk about all these companies, they might have been living upon their means or maybe not have prepared for the eventual downturn. I think of like my father being in family business, it's just brick and mortar, it's swimming pools, right? And everything was showing indications of, you know, the economy was going well, people were buying leisure, luxury product, and now suddenly this happens. And I think a lot of companies now have maybe purchased their inventory for the season, they're finding themselves, they had a plan, and now everything's been shot. So I'd be curious to know, like, what are some of the advices you can give to people that are in these types of situations during these times? So what you're in now, now that we're at kind of like the week three or week four in the U.S. economy, at least, or maybe week eight of the whole global economy, the first part is to be very empathetic with your employees as to the situation that we're all in, to really hear them and understand them and feel it. And then it's to be able to say, I get it, but we still have to drive the company forward. We still need to build the company. And then it's to have a plan. So with your leadership team or with your peers or with your coach, develop a plan that you can roll out because right now more than ever leaders need to lead and followers are dying to follow. They just want to have a plan that they can follow. So give them something. And I try to keep the plan very easy to execute kind of the low hanging fruit, a bunch of things that will drive revenue, a bunch of things that will decrease your cost of goods sold, a bunch of things that will decrease your overhead, but definitely a 50, 50 focus, 50% on growing and 50% on cutting costs. If all you do is focus on cutting, you're not going to be growing. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The other thing you have to remind your employees of is that your company is probably not average. The fact that you're tuning into this podcast means you're probably not an average company. So don't plan to be average in your industry. If your industry on average will be down 30% this year, that means some of the companies in your industry are going to be down by 50. Some are going to be down by 70. Some are going to grow out of business. Some are going to be down by 10. Some are going to grow by 20. Some are going to grow by 40. Where do you want to be? If you're already in the top 5% of all people in your industry, then you should be planning to still have a 30 to 40% growth year. But if you don't focus on sales and marketing and business development, then you sure enough, you'll slow down as well. So in every economy, like in every single economy, people still grow. The other one to remind our team of and to be very empathetic is, yes, this is a big disease. But as I told somebody yesterday in Toronto, you know, in Ontario, there's, I think it was 7,000 people are sick. And then I showed her that there's also 17 million people who are not sick. We need to be empathetic and then grab a dose of perspective and we're going to drive forward. And then you have to get rid of any of the people that don't line up with the fact that it's time to grow forward. We have a business to run. We have sales to generate. We have mouths to feed. We have a business to scale. We have debt to pay. The next area that I really focus on right now is people often say, I don't have time to grow my team. I don't have time to invest in coaching. I don't have time to invest in the mastermind. I don't have time to invest in courses. I don't have time to read business books. Shit, you got a lot of time now. Why don't you get all of your employees and your leadership team engaged in growth, engaged in coaching, engaged in getting mentored, engaged in, in devouring videos and content? The more that you can grow your people, the more they'll grow your company. And this is the time to sharpen the saw if there ever was one. And then lastly, it's around planning so that you really have a solid plan in place to execute once we're able to go back to work. Right? Once that plan starts to happen, what are you going to put in place then? last thing you want to do is be told, okay, you can go back to work tomorrow. And then you spend the first week figuring out what to do. So plan, brief, execute, debrief. 
What I find fascinating is you give these tips about how you're talking about sharpening the ax. You're talking about, you know, making sure you're growing your sales and marketing, you're managing your costs. And we're now doing it so diligently during this season. Yet these all sound like amazing advice to be doing all the time. Well, they are. And I cover them in my book, Double Double. I also coach all my CEOs on this, that you need to have these methodologies in place. Most don't. So that's why I kind of am walking through it now, though. But it sounds to me like having a recession like this, or at least an issue where people are really finding themselves being more in a fear state, it's actually an opportunity to have that laser focus on going back to the fundamentals. Is this really what's going on? Yeah, this is what's going on is going back to that fundamentals where you go back to working on the critical few things versus the important many. You go back to working on that very simple to execute plan or the low hanging fruit stuff that doesn't take a lot of people time and money to put in place. And then you give the team something to go after. That tends to be where the growth comes from. And I know that, you know, in a previous podcast you did on the Mainline Valley podcast with Vision, you talk about vivid vision. And it sounds to me like that idea of nailing the vivid vision is actually something that allows to rally the employees and to make sure that everybody's kind of going in the same direction during these times. Has it become even more critical? It has been more critical, but I wouldn't necessarily do the rollout of the vivid vision now. I think the time to roll out the new vivid vision is once we know we're able to go back to work. And then and only then can you actually start getting excited about the future. So now we need to be empathetic to where we are and to be focused on the future. But once we actually know that we're going to be okay, we know we're turning the corner, then we can get excited about the future. But I think it can be very detrimental. People will think we've lost our mind if we're starting to roll out this great vision of the company. Like, dude, we're not even fucking in the office. They think you lost touch with reality. So I think it's a dangerous time to roll out a new vivid vision, but it's a critical time to focus on kind of the plan now. This is basically wartime versus peacetime, right? We're in a wartime CEO kind of scenario than when we were maybe three months ago. Can you tell us more about this concept between wartime and, and peacetime CEO? Yeah, it's a concept that I learned from a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. And it's just around when shit's real. Basically, I think he was talking about the 2001 stock market crash or 2000 stock market crash, which I was heavily involved in as well. We had 900 employees. I had to fire 150. And then a week and a half later, I had to fire another 150. That's when shit gets real. Or when we almost lost 1-800-GOT-JUNK and we had no money to meet payroll, we had to go borrow 420000 from Brian's mom just to meet payroll. That's when shit gets real. You know, you're getting the pro forma cash flow statements on a daily basis. So I've learned how to manage through the heat of that. The key is to actually manage your business that way all of the time. And I think what happens in a real boom time is often people and companies get a little fat and lazy. They end up growing too quickly. They hire people they don't really need. They're working on stuff they don't really need. And profit covers a lot of mistakes, right? Quick, fast growth can cover a lot of mistakes. I find wartime CEO certainly challenging, but probably less challenging than fast growth. I find it much, much harder to grow a great company optimally through what I did was six consecutive years of 100% revenue growth. I think that's actually harder than running a wartime company. You know, in this stage, people will do whatever you tell them because they're also fucking terrified that we have to do it, right? Versus in peacetime, everybody wants to have an opinion. In wartime, they're like, dude, tell me what to do. I'll just go do it. It's an incredible time to be in that command and control. Interesting. And so I guess I'd love to give a perspective, maybe from an employee's perspective. If I'm listening to this, I'm not the CEO. I'm just someone within my department. I'm a specialist or a middle manager. What are some of the key things I should keep in mind during these times to ensure that people are focused on the right thing? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that your CEO is terrified and shitting the bricks every day. And if you can ever be that confidential sounding board, hey, boss, we got you. Hey, boss, we're doing good. Hey, boss, thank you. 
they're starving for that right now because they're scared and they can't turn to a lot of people. There's not a lot of people that the C-level, especially CEO, COO can actually turn to and say that they don't know what they're doing or they're scared or they're worried. So anything you do to just help keep their emotions in check, even if it's like get them out of the office to go for a run, those can be critical things that a mid-level employee can do for a senior level team member. Mm. So it's almost like an opportunity for anybody in the company to show some leadership and to really support their upper management. Yeah, it's that heavy empathy of like, dude, it must suck because they can't go home to their spouse and say they're terrified of losing the business. They can't tell the employees, they can't tell the board, they can't tell their VCs. So they're sitting all by themselves, scared to death that they got to figure this whole thing out. And I'll tell you, any CEO who's under 36 years old has never done it before because the last recession, they were only 25. They probably weren't CEO of a company. So it's really, really hard right now for anyone under 36 years old who's the CEO of a company or CEO of a company. They've probably never done this. This is the first time they've gone through it. I made a joke the other day when, you know, the whole like, okay, boomer that's thrown around recently. I haven't heard that one. Oh yeah. All Gen Y are like, okay, boomer, like as if an old guy, like, thanks dad. It's kind of like the modern version of thanks dad. So I was like, I did a quote. I said, the new okay, boomer is okay, boomer, dot, dot, dot. I'm scared to death. Can you tell me how to get through this fucking recession? Cause I've never been through one before. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Because I went through 87, 01, and 08. I've done this three times. It's not that hard. But it's where you are, take a good inventory, cut where you can cut, and focus on growth again. And then try to learn from this so that we don't make those same mistakes. I try to grow from this so that we can motivate in a better place. I was going to ask one final question, which is, you know, in your case, especially on the stock market side, like you were able to kind of anticipate a bit of this that was going on through that kind of Uber analogy we did at the beginning. And as for business owners that were in these industries that may not have been tied to the public market and they couldn't see any signs, like the coronavirus seems to have come out of quote unquote nowhere. Is there anything that people could have done better to be more prepared or be more aware or if this ever happens again? Yes. Yeah. So do you know the concept of the black swan? Have you heard about that? I have not actually. Okay. So the black swan concept got tossed around a lot in 2000, 2001, right after the September 11th bombings happened or plane crash, whatever it was. So basically the concept is in nature, swans are white. The big, huge birds are white swans. And all swans are white, except about one in 10,000 or one in 100,000 swans are born with the defect and they come out black, jet black. Almost like the opposite of an albino. So it's just predictable that every once in a while a swan will be born that's black. Very rare, doesn't happen very often, but very predictable. Well, likewise, it's very predictable that at times there will be a shock in the economy that will be devastating that are going to make us all react. A war, September 11th, the communist crisis, North Korea, panic in the stock market. I mean, fuck, it's panic at the disco, right? Like, what is the next thing that's going to have us all have to react? Well, it's very reasonable to think that it will probably happen again. So what will we do when that happens? So it's having time to talk strategically about what if so that you can have plans in place for if you need them in the future. It's risk mitigation, it's contingency planning. It's, you know, it's very reasonable to think that someone listening today, their CEO will die in the next six months. I can almost guarantee that someone listening today, their CEO will die within the next six months. I mean, I know four guys that were over in Kenya and they run helicopters and their helicopter crashed. I was friends with two of them. It was a horrible accident where the helicopter ahead were their girlfriends and wives and they had this helicopter go down behind them. But it didn't shock me because I also knew about two brothers, Greg Brophy and his brother who ran Shredit, 
back in 2006, I think it was, were killed in a plane crash. The plan, if Greg Brophy died, was to have the brother run the company, but he was in the plane too, and he died. You hear about CEOs in plane crashes all the time dying. So I think it's, it's reasonable to think that an executive team member will die or that there will be a murder or that there will be a suicide. So you have to think through those situations to have a plan in place so that when it happens, you don't have to react, you actually respond. Hmm. But that's strategy. That's where some of the wisdom comes into this. Like we had a CEO, a franchisee of ours at 1-800-GOT-JUNK commit suicide. I got a phone call from his general manager and I turned to tell Brian, the CEO who was sitting right beside me, and he was on the phone and he turned to tell me he was talking to the franchisee's wife. We both got the phone call at the same time. We looked at each other and nodded. Brian started to cry. We got off the calls. I grabbed Brian, went into the boardroom and I said, you go home, you decompress, you fall apart. My day will be tomorrow. I got this. Brian had been really good friends with the franchisee. I was able to detach a little bit as second in command. So I just went into like, go, but I already knew what to do in this kind of a situation. I had contingencies in place for these things. So it's about taking the time to think about the black swans and put those plans in place. And the last lesson I'll give on this is there's a brand called Cantor Fitzgerald, which was at the top of the World Trade Center. And the CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald was walking his son or daughter to kindergarten and was late getting back to the building and survived. And he was one of the only people to survive Cantor Fitzgerald. That whole head office was virtually wiped out. They were on the top two floors of the World Trade Center. I saw him at the TED conference about five or six years later. And I said, how did you guys as a company even continue? He said, we had succession plans in place for everything, including a disaster like that. Wow. So in essence, we really want to make sure that even if you're always making plans around growth plans, that you're always taking a step back and ensuring that, hey, what if we take the time to actually look at this black swan as opposed to ignore it and think that it'll never happen? Because obviously we see it will eventually happen and you never know what that is. You just need to prepare for it. Yeah. So as an example, what are the signs of a stock market that's capitulating? It's very high VIX. It's trucking and shipping that's down. Like, What are the three or four signals to watch for good companies that are high cash balances? Is okay. Hit that one, hit that one. Oh, there's the three lights, which has just went off. It says we're, you know, out of a point. Oh, let's move 50% to cash. Oh, then it happened. Cameron, thank you so much for coming here and sharing such wise insights. And I love those perspectives you bring are such non-conventional where like, it seems like there's a lot of noise, but it sounds like you're coming here and saying, you know what, aside from all this noise, it's happened before, it'll happen again. There's a lot of fundamentals we need to go back to. So if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're realizing that, hey, it's going to be okay, there's going to be some tough times and we're going to swallow the pill. But if you're making the plans, you're doing the steps, you're focusing on the fundamentals, you don't stop the growth. You aim to be one of those companies that can still grow in these areas. Try to think of ways that you can focus on the revenue, focus on the marketing. And it's very interesting because most companies have decided to stop all the marketing. So now the advertising costs are much lower than they ever were. Great time to be a buyer. Everybody's terrified. This, all these grandmother-isms are always true. Right? Be fearful when others are greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. Last lesson I want to leave everybody with right now is None of this actually matters. This is just what we do to make money. All of us are going to die. We're all just walking each other home. Can we just have fun and laugh a little bit along the way and enjoy what we do? Because whatever our job is, whatever our business is, once we're dead, it doesn't matter anymore. Let's just have fun along the path. Love it. Cameron, thanks again for all the wisdom and everybody listening. This has been a breath of fresh air. This has been a lot of realism. And this has been a thing that you can take home Listen to once again, if you notice that there's some steps, depending on which position you're in, you're maybe an entrepreneur, you're maybe a manager, an employee, 
support the people around you, care for the people around you, especially if you're an employee, your CEO probably is looking for someone to listen to and to be there and support them. So be kind, be understanding, do your best. And if you are in that leadership position, know that when you focus on the growth, you manage the costs, know that this is going to be a cycle that passes and you make the most out of what you can based on the situation that you're in. And in the future, make sure that you're always preparing for that black swan because we know this has happened in the past. It will probably happen again. And next time you can be more prepared unless you were already prepared for this one, then good job. You're probably one of the buyers now. So thanks for listening, everybody. Cameron, once again, thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, Jason, thanks for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.